Hi, welcome to the Nonprofit Mastermind Spotlight Series. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage. Every Tuesday on the regular Nonprofit Mastermind, I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching and leading a high impact nonprofit. The Spotlight Series is a special weekly show in which I showcase and celebrate the organizations in my Impact Accelerator program. I lift up their mission, their work, and their personal stories of leadership. I started the Accelerator because I believe that one of my purposes in this life is to work on and support efforts leading to positive social change. The organizations that apply for and join the Accelerator are truly changing our world, and it continues to be such an honor and joy for me to aim my experience, my passions, and my resources at helping them grow their revenue and their impact. This Spotlight Series is my celebration of them. Today, I have the absolute joy of talking with the founder and executive director of More Art, Michaela Martigani. More Art exists to leverage community and to harness the power of art to really address social issues. They bring artists into partnership with community members, organizations, and institutions like courts and nonprofits and community leaders to create space for real dialogue that drives change. Michaela and I talk about the urgency of finding ways for people to work together across difference, about the power of a shared experience of artistic work to bring us together in new ways, and about how ultimately those new ways can open doors for deepened relationships and a chance for meaningful social change. I loved this conversation with Michaela, and I think you'll love our conversation too. Hey, Michaela, how are you? Welcome. Thank you so much, Brooke. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you. I'm really excited to explore more art and your work and the incredible work you do with artists. Um, I'd love to start really big picture. What does more art do? What is, what's your mission? What are you guys about in the world? Well, I'll start by saying that I believe that Great, uh, great art has great power. And uh, art should be available or accessible to everyone. And uh, if you think about uh, the fact that art has great power, then uh, we also have to think about uh, in our times, in our current times, uh, what the responsibility of art is. And that's uh, where we come in as an organization. Uh, what we want to do is to harness that power to really address social issues and potentially make an impact uh, towards social justice. Oh, I love that. I, I wrote down art has great power. That's so true. I mean, I don't think you know, we often stop to think about how our views on social issues, how our personal emotional states are impacted by art. There is such power in art. When you say harness that power, what does that, what does that look like for you guys? So the way we do it is by collaborating with a lot of different people. First, we collaborate with artists. Uh, first and foremost, and we collaborate uh, with uh, um, 
social service organizations uh, and community members uh, um, so that uh, we can help um, uh, we, we can help create projects that address social issues in a very honest and equitable way, uh, while at the same time uh, respecting the, the uh, artistic vision of the artist. So you can see us as middlemen or collaborators. Um, we do a lot of talking uh, with everyone, uh, and often that's how projects get developed. Uh, it starts with a conversation with an artist, and, uh, um, and then we bring this conversation up again with different uh, organizations uh, until we find the perfect vehicle to um, bring that out into the world. And uh, when I say uh, bring a project to the world, uh, uh, means that we want for the project to have a strong uh, creative and artistic impact, while at the same time uh, being able to be accessed in multiple ways so that people, if they have questions about a specific uh, issue, yeah. they can ask those questions. Uh, they can but find like those leverage, it, it helps kick up dialogue. Exactly, exactly. It's never didactic. That's not the way art works either. And that's why I think art is a particularly interesting medium to do that, because it's often experiential yes. and people feel the issue in their bones yes. instead of read about it or learn about it in a more didactic way, which yeah. you can do in other, you know, in other spaces. Yeah, it's interesting. You talked about partnering with social service agencies. What are the kinds of issues that you might work on with, say, an institution or a government institution or a social service agency? So depending on what uh, um, the artist is interested in exploring or has been exploring, uh, then we reach out to different types of organizations. Just to give you an example on the yeah. The latest project uh, that we are uh, working on currently, um, this is with artist Fred Wilson, and uh, we've been collaborating uh, with the, the Center for Court Innovation. I love them, absolutely. Oh, them. Okay. Uh, so because this project has to do with the concept of gates and barriers, um, it's a, actually a powerful uh, sculpture that's going to open in downtown Brooklyn, um, right in front of the uh, Kings County Supreme Court. Oh, yes. That's right. That's uh, a great location. With, um, Columbus, uh, you know, a statue of a uh, uh, Christopher Columbus and Beecher was this abolitionist from the 19th century. It's that big sort of open space with all the courts there. Absolutely. Right. And, and uh, so it is a structure made of overlaid uh, ironwork that uh, on some, uh, from some sides looks uh, um, like those very elaborate uh, um, balconies uh, or uh, uh, windows that you see in mansions. And then from other sides, uh, it looks like prison bars. 
And the project uh, asked the question about what a barrier actually is and how much it is self-imposed and connected to power, you know, the power of deciding whether you're inside those barriers or outside of it. And so we started talking to the, the um, Center of Court Innovation because they do an amazing job in trying to formulate alternatives to incarceration. Yes. Yeah. And so we are working, uh, we have uh, been creating a series of workshops uh, for youth uh, from uh, 25 year old and, and um, down um, about the concept of gates and how often, especially with youth, it is self-imposed and how you potentially can switch the narrative. What's and, your perspective? Absolutely. Exactly, exactly. So this is a, an example, um, but each project uh, addresses a different uh, issue and therefore we then collaborate with a different uh, organization. And some organizations we also have collaborated with uh, multiple times over the years, for example. This model of sort of bringing art and political and social issues and cultural institutions and young people, sort of all of the different stakeholders and, and perspectives around an issue together through art strikes me as being sort of powerful and impactful in ways that just displaying art may not be. Is that how the model evolved? Is that sort of the thinking behind the, the collaboration model? Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, it goes back to what I said initially that I think art has a responsibility. And, uh, you know, I don't uh, mean that every artist has to work this way. Absolutely not. Right. Uh, obviously, space for a lot of different uh, types of uh, work. But I think also we, we are living through very complicated times and uh, artists have the capacity at, uh, of looking at things in a different way and approaching it in, in a not in a linear uh, way. And uh, so it does, uh, I, I, I think it's important that artists understand how much they can change perspective on things and therefore how much they can open up a dialogue that can lead to social change. And it's not that the art will change an issue 100%. It's not that there will, you know, one project will change everything, but it can change the conversation that can lead to that change. I was just thinking there's, it creates more ways into dialogue. And ultimately, dialogue is where real dialogue, intimacy, connecting with people is where you see change happen. I love that. How did you get involved in this work? How did you come to be leading this incredible organization? Well, um, I actually founded the organization. Um, at this point, it's almost 20 years ago. Um, yeah. But uh, what happened is I grew up with art. I... Uh, I'm Italian originally, um, so the art I grew up with is more like Renaissance. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Very beautiful. Uh, like, uh, but um, actually, it's very interesting, especially um, as I decided to study art uh, in uh, uh, college, 
and I started studying medieval art, how much actually medieval art uh, resembles what we're doing today. That uh, in that at that time, art was very collaborative. Um, and there was no, sometimes there was not even a name of, the, of an artist attached to a project. It was more about the project. Uh, and yes, it was usually associated with uh, um, uh, with churches, etc. just because that's how society yeah, uh, right. was at the time. Uh, but there was an actually attempt to intervene in uh, uh, in the society of the time and uh, and um, actually bring some kind of um, new angle of conversation so that's how it started in my i never i never knew that actually about yeah it's, it's very especially at that time it's quite interesting but the when I, I started working the arts initially i thought i would work in a museum um which right. is a that's how it started. Um, I did my graduate work in New York and then um, kind of more traditional trajectory. But then uh, um, there's something that happened. A couple of things. One was uh, I did not feel that everybody felt as comfortable in a, in a museum setting. Oh, Especially when we talk about contemporary art. Contemporary art can often be seen as off-putting, intimidating, too intellectual. Very cerebral, yeah. Very yeah. cerebral. Plus, there is a hefty price often to get into a museum. That's the first barrier, talking about barriers. And uh, so uh, that limits the number of people that that are that come into contact with art and because i really truly believe that art is essential in, in people's lives i started thinking about alternatives to um so that uh, to bring art outside of those spaces the designated yeah. space was that or galleries galleries are free but they still are incredibly intimidating uh and a lot of people don't feel welcome uh right. so right. instead if you encounter something in the streets uh, you can then choose whether you're interested and you want to stop or continue on. Or maybe you pass the first day, you continue on. The second day, something intrigues you and you stop and look. Um, so that's how it started, uh, coupled with uh, um, the fact that at that time I was living in Chelsea, and Chelsea changed drastically in the matter of. I was going to say, well, Chelsea twenty years ago was yeah. undergoing just incredible transformation. Exactly, and it really happened over like four or five years, uh, and it became from kind of uh, working class neighborhood into this place uh, um, of luxury that was connected to the arts, though, because they were they were the galleries that they brought. Uh, the transformation. So they also ended up creating a big divide between the existing residents and the, the, the new um, the newcomers in the big luxury buildings, etc. So at the time, the, we started as a small association, like a neighborhood association, uh, inviting the artists that were showing the Chelsea Gallery 
to connect with existing community. And so collaborating with schools and, uh, and community centers, senior centers, and develop projects together to show in, uh, um, in public spaces. So that's how it started. And then gradually, we moved beyond that, uh, but we, we maintained that collaborative attitude. I love that founding story. That's, I mean, A, I didn't actually know you guys had started as a neighborhood association, but just at the core of what you're doing, this idea of art as a public, as, as public, as inherently about public spaces and community and bringing people together. Did you find that in those early days that the Chelsea artists were mostly open to this idea of sort of community and collaboration. I think, you know, there's definitely this idea that the artists that show in some of, you know, for those of the listeners who are not in New York, Chelsea, um, you know, Soho is another area. There, there are these little spaces of sort of exalted art. Um, and I don't know, I, I'd wonder if the artists would be as open, yeah. Actually, my experience was that uh, artists were pretty open. Um, maybe not every artist, um, but uh, also we, uh, you know, we approached artists who we thought uh, um, right. yeah. could be in line with our way of uh, uh, working. But artists were pretty open and they liked the fact of trying to create a bit of a connection or, you know, to, to fill that gap um, that they had in a way contributed to create unwillingly, obviously. That's right, that's right. Um, uh, galleries, not always, I would say. Uh, gallery, I would, yeah, that's a different sort of dynamic. It's a different story. But, uh, but artists, for, you know, the most part, we're very open. So coming out of the pandemic, you know, we talk about the some of the social rifts that were always there, right? That that more art has engaged with and, and worked with, um, but that were really um, both exacerbated and just illuminated in different ways over the last two years. Has your work changed over these last two years? Are you finding that the types of conversations you're able to um, help foster or the kinds of issues, the kinds of art, what kinds of changes have you seen as a result of this incredibly tumultuous last two years? Yes, um, I would say that a lot of the conversation has become more urgent and uh, yeah. some uh, um, of the work has become maybe a little bit more intentional. Uh, so we have been working uh, uh, in this way for, you know, a, a long time, so way be before the pandemic, uh, um, and with some of the issues that were then exacerbated during the pandemic. But uh, there has been uh, more focus now, and uh, um, so for better or for worse, uh, people are, are paying more attention and therefore there is also a call for greater accountability, which I think it's a, all a very positive outcome. Yeah. Also, another, something else is that in the pandemic, uh, uh, we as an organization, like so many others, uh, have started to uh, pay more attention to social media at the beginning. Uh, 
yeah. Uh, uh, it was the only outlet that uh, uh, we, we were left with. And before the pandemic, it's not that we didn't use social media, but we used social media in a very straightforward way to usually announce a project or something. But it was, uh, it was not a space for conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started using that space much more because it actually can be a very interesting space to build community. Yeah. Uh, also for an organization like ours, uh, who does not have uh, a uh, space? And, uh, you know, we work in the public space uh, uh, and we do not have a, like a museum. Um, so this can be the social, social media um, uh, space can be a place for people that uh, are like-minded to come together. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I love that. And I mean, so much of what you're doing is about creating and holding space for dialogue. And I think a lot of, like you said, a lot of organizations over the last two years have come to see various social media spaces as actual places for meaningful dialogue, not just sort of, you know, snapshots that that come and go. Um, So what is coming for you, for you guys in this coming year as we come out of Hopefully, I think we will continue to come out of the pandemic. Um, I think, you know, a lot of organizations and we've talked about looking ahead to planning and visioning for your next 20 years. What's coming on the horizon for you guys? So this year is actually um, a very rich year and we're very excited. Uh, First of all, we uh, we have this big project with Fred Wilson uh, opening in June, um, but also what's uh, special about this project is that, um, so I was talking about the fact that there are like two large quite large uh, boxes made of this uh, iron work um, that uh, can look like uh, other, you know, gated community or prison bars. Inside, there are uh, sculpture, life-size sculptures uh, um, of uh, um, sort of uh, African uh, um, influenced sculptures. And uh, the structure itself uh, is uh, locked, so the audience can experience it uh, by just walking around and in between, and we'll see the sculpture through the mesh. However, the box is open, and uh, we are going to have a series of events that will uh, actually take place inside the box. So where the performance is inside, the audience is outside. So so also the performance is partly in view and partly hidden. Um, And we are collaborating, uh, talking always about collaboration with other organizations as well. We're collaborating with different genres. So with uh, music and dance and spoken word, performance. Um, So every month we'll have a chance to present new programs and everything will be addressing the issue of uh, um, barriers and gates. And when you you think about barriers and gates, it's a very broad um, 
uh, issue that uh, it, it can include so many things, you know, obviously mass incarceration and, and slavery, but also immigration yes. um, and it, it, even the, the pandemic lockdown and social economic barriers and gender barriers. Absolutely. Economics and gender, who's in, who's out, who gets to decide. Absolutely. Exactly. So it's so this really for us it's very exciting, and it will be continued for one full year because it's a year long project. It kicks off in June. Uh, kicks off in June twenty twenty two through June twenty twenty three, and and then um, in. Uh, um, uh, at the same time as this uh, opening, we will launch a new website with an updated identity to kick off a year-long research to work on a new strategic plan in time for our 20th anniversary. So there is There's a lot so much coming. This is, I mean, rounding out your first 20 years with just what sounds like this incredibly rich and deep multi-layered collaboration and dialogue. And I can't think of a better topic to really capture so much of what's in the zeitgeist right now, right? It, it's broad enough to really bring in all of the different topics you mentioned that are so top of mind for people and bring us full circle to the beginning you know, of our conversation, this idea of art having great power. We're, we're all in need of ways back into dialogue with one another right now. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, what you've shared is art, art is that way. Art can be part of that. Um, and you guys are right at the forefront of that. And it's so exciting to hear. I mean, I know a lot about what you're doing, but it's so exciting to share um, what you're working on. How can people get involved and support your work? Thanks, Brooke. Um... So there are a couple of different ways. Definitely um, find us on social media. We talked about this new space. So uh, the, our handle is always at moreartnyc, um, both you know on Facebook and uh, Instagram, also on Twitter, and. Um, we also um, have a website for people who want to go a little bit more in depth in what we do, which is moreart.org. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a lot that's uh, starting. So I hope that people will join. And uh, um, we also have a, web, a newsletter that goes out uh, every two, three weeks and uh, really addresses uh, some of the issues that we've been talking about. Uh, we are spending now the spring um, addressing small conversation relating to, uh, to this topic. So we just had uh, last week a conversation um, about uh, barriers as uh, um, uh, as re they are related to policing and incarceration. Uh, and then uh, at the uh, beginning of May, if anyone is interested, on May 9th, we'll have another one on uh, uh, immigration and indigenous rights and barriers there. Uh, and then on May 24th, one on gender barriers. Wonderful. And they can learn about these on your website. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. And on our um, social media. Social media. Wonderful. Well, 
as always, Michaela, it is great talking to you. This is just a wonderful um, highlight of your incredible work. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing it today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think what we talk about here, the trainings and the guests and the conversations could benefit another leader in your life, I'd love if you would leave a review and share with your friends. If you want to take the next step and begin to put into practice what we talk about on this podcast, I've created a toolkit where I collect and share downloads from many of our conversations. It's got templates, worksheets, and references to help you execute on what we talk about here on The Mastermind. There's lots of great stuff, and I add to it almost every week. You can download it at richiebabbage.com backslash architecture of impact toolkit. I also want to share another free resource for leaders of growing nonprofits. It's a free training. It's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. The four questions you need to ask to know if your nonprofit is really ready to scale. Growing an organization doesn't happen by accident, as we all know. You have to take the right strategic steps at the right time to avoid overwhelm and burnout and that horrible feeling that so many of us have had as you watch the work of your organization outstrip capacity and sometimes even funding. It's almost impossible to reverse engineer good growth. And by that, I mean growth that can be sustained over time just by looking at what you think you see in other organizations. So in this free training, I help cut through all the noise and I identify the four simple questions that if you really engage with them and think about them, will tell you when you're ready to grow without frenzy, without overwhelm, and with the confidence that you're making the right moves for your organization. You can access the training at richiebabbage.com backslash ready to scale. If you'd like more leadership resources and strategies in your life, sign up for my weekly newsletter, Leadership Forward 321. Each week, I curate and share three articles, two resources, and a quote on a theme. You can get that at richiebabbage.com backslash leadership forward 321. That's all for now. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.